after church this morning, somebody said, so you're going to, you took three sermons on the first 14 verses, and you're going to cover the last half of the chapter in one sermon. No. <laughs> I'm not. Uh, you, you probably know that volumes upon volumes of uh, commentary and sermons have been printed uh, regarding uh, the Gospel of John and uh, particularly these words of Jesus in this last discourse. But I do want to read the uh, last section of this uh, chapter uh, as uh, an expression of that fourth, uh, or fifth, is it fourth or fifth, uh, remedy for heart problems uh, that we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. So uh, beginning in, there in verse 15, uh, let me uh, call your attention uh, to God's Word. Uh, it's true. Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced because I am, go because I am going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise and let us go from here. Let's pray to him, shall we? Our Father in heaven, we thank you for these words, so uh, many uh, good, precious, helpful, interesting, challenging words from the Lord Jesus on this occasion. As we deal with just a portion of them, we pray that you would bless us uh, by your Spirit uh, as we abide in him. For his sake we pray, amen.
So as frequently happens, um, a lot of preachers don't admit this, but you stand up and you read a text that you've uh, prepared and studied, and then you say, oh man, I didn't even think about that. (laughs) So I'm not going to burden you with that, but uh, just uh, the gift of another helper. Here's the follow-up to what we talked about this morning. Over in Luke 11, Jesus is teaching his disciples about praying, you'll remember. And he says this, I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be open. Okay, so what's that about? Prayer, right? Like we talked about this morning. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to good gifts, give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. This, of course, is an earlier teaching of Jesus, but it does fit directly into this context of Jesus' address to his disciples on that night before his betrayal and his execution at the hands of the Jewish people and the Romans. This morning I considered with you those precious statements that Jesus makes in the previous verses, uh, giving comfort to worried, uh, anxious, anxiety-filled disciples and to us. And in verses 12 through 14, as we read this morning, uh, this most astounding statement is declared uh, by the Lord that whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater ones he will do than these, because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now Jesus, in the previous, says, you know what, if you ask something of me, if you ask something of me, you know what God gives? He gives the Spirit. And a lot of times we say, no, 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 no. I don't want that. I want the new car. (laughs) Or I want the old car repaired. Or something. I I want what I asked for. And uh, Jesus is saying, you're going to get what you need. And what you need, no matter what the situation, is the Holy Spirit. And so, to these utterly perhaps getting to the place of being utterly despondent disciples. Now Jesus gives what looks like a disconnected sentence to them, giving them the greater promise to give them comfort. I don't know why he repeats it and piles it up in these promises, in the expressions of comfort to his disciples. Uh, I would imagine that it's mostly because we're kind of dull to understand and to appreciate 
uh, what the Lord Jesus is doing. And so uh, here are a couple of more promises and remedies for heart trouble. The first consolation is the promise of the Holy Spirit. We look forward to gifts at Christmas time. We can all remember those Christmas trees with gifts that somehow so cruelly by parents uh, make their appearance under a tree like a week before Christmas. And uh, we get so anxious. What's in there? Uh, It's got my name on it. It's small. It's big. It's shaped like a BB gun. Uh, And it never is, by the way. Uh, But uh, we look forward to getting those gifts. Usually there are times of utter surprise to us. Often the anticipation is more fun than the actual gift itself. Dad comes home for a business trip and he says, I've got something for you. And he rolls out a Tootsie Roll or something like that. Uh, So mundane. Well, here in these verses, Jesus tells the disciples, I've got a gift for you. He tells us what the gift is and he tells us why the gift is valuable. This is the perfect gift. It's truly the gift that keeps on giving over and over again. Now, uh, admittedly, there is not a full expression in this chapter or in the verses that I'm even I'm going to talk about uh, about the promise that is given. That is, we don't have a full disclosure of the work and the discussion of the person, of uh, the grace, of the fullness of the the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Uh, If you desire to do that, there are some good reference books and you can dig into that, Uh, even looking at the next, the last part of this chapter and in the next uh, chapter, uh, chapter 15 and 16. We do, however, have some very important uh, introduction in this, uh, in these verses. In verse 15, Jesus said, if you love me, You will keep my commandments. Now, that's the condition. That's the the foundation for the receiving of the gifts. This verse, again, seems a little bit disconnected. But uh, there is a connection with what he has already said in verses 12 and following. It is for that believer... That, remember the present active participle, the one who continues to believe in Christ, in God. It is that one who obediently believes that uh, this gift is going to be given. So there's an inclusion here of all of the saving fruit, all of the saving graces that we talk about with the gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and the important thing is as Jesus says uh, you can't leave out the faith issue you can't leave out the faith in the discussion of the work of the Holy Spirit I'm not speaking of obedience as an integral part of becoming saved 
but I'm speaking of obedience as a necessary byproduct of any believer who comes to Jesus. That is, if we are obedient to his commands, it is because we have come to faith in him. It's not the thing that brings us to him, but it is a necessary result. And so there's the condition. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Now on that basis, then he says, I'm going to give you uh, another helper. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. The word another is important in this context because it signifies the fact that there is a helper who for these disciples was already present, who was known to the disciples. It's pretty obvious that Jesus is referring to himself as the first helper. That is, that his intention here is to make the point that as he speaks of the helper, the Holy Spirit coming along, that it is another helper of the same kind, a helper of the same kind or of the same nature that he has. And we clearly see this as we follow along here. The name, first of all, helper. Uh, You know the Greek word paraclete? What is a paraclete? Well, a paraclete in the Greek, we don't have a a one-to-one corresponding uh, word to translate, paraclete. It can mean a counselor. That is, uh, not in the sense of a guidance counselor uh, or a camp counselor, but one in the sense of being an advocate. Uh, You have a lawyer who is your counselor representing you before uh, a a judge. It can mean a champion or a defender, someone who uh, assumes your place uh, in uh, battle. It can also mean a supporter or a helper or, uh, as it is often called, uh, the comforter. The comforter will come. My suggestion is that you put all those things together. He is a counselor, he is a champion, a defender, he is a comforter and a helper. And the point is this, that the paraclete, who is the Holy Spirit, takes the place of Jesus by the side or in the hearts of the disciples. As Jesus supported them in times of weakness, so will the Spirit. As Jesus was their counselor in difficult situations, helping them to understand, to comprehend what it was that Jesus was doing, so if they will be dependent upon the Holy Spirit to grant them wisdom, not in some necessarily uh, abstract and superficial or supernatural way, but through the Word which He is going to inspire them to write. And so He is their counselor. As Jesus, even on that evening, was giving them comfort, so the Holy Spirit will be the one who comforts them that they might indeed be able to turn and comfort others. Now, it's interesting uh, that it's not the place of the disciples uh, to call down upon themselves the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Uh, That's not a biblical idea, but it is the Father. It is the Son. Over in John 3, Jesus says, the Spirit goes where the Father wills. 
He sends the Spirit upon His people. It's God who gives the Spirit. It's God who sends the Spirit. And yet, it's the Spirit that God sends upon all of His people for their work. So even if you take the idea of advocate, for instance, the Holy Spirit does not so much take our case to God as he brings God's case to us in the proclamation of the gospel. He is another paraclete, so like Jesus who revealed the Father to them, so this Spirit will show them the way to the Father. That same work will continue by the Spirit. Maybe it's uh, good to look at it from a little bit different perspective. Do uh, you remember the, uh, the game? They probably do this at science camp where you, where you have a trust game. They blindfold you and they say, stand still and fall back. And you can trust us. We'll catch you. Trust me. For three years, Jesus had been walking and talking with these 11 men showing them the Father, teaching them to trust Him. If the sea is raging and the storm is blowing, Jesus says, trust me. If your mother-in-law is ill, Peter, trust me. Do you have money to pay your taxes? Trust me. You say, my friend Lazarus is dead? Trust me. But it's been three. Trust me. Trust me. And they were finally beginning to do that. Even as just a few seconds ago, Jesus had said to them, I am the way and the truth and the life. For what would they trust Jesus? Life, health, security, protection, wisdom, help in times of danger. He spoke of those things. But he also spoke of things like the forgiveness of sins, about the practices of discipleship, about the confidence that they could have in praying to the Father. And so here's the promise that he gives them. Another would come who would be just like him, just like the previous promise. And the paraclete can be trusted. I've asked the boys to pass around a note sheet. So guys, you can do that now. Because I want you to look, I didn't want you to look at this before, but I want you to look now at uh, a Bible study, if you will, of how the Spirit can be trusted. Multiple, spiritual, very important, critical things that we need. As I mentioned this morning, there's that fountain of grace that flows everything that we need for life and godliness. Here it is, the Holy Spirit, all that we need for spiritual and critical things. The Spirit can be trusted. Now, I'm not going to go through this list. You can do that on your own. But that's what Jesus means in verse 17 when he says, He lives with you and will be in you, this Holy Spirit. 
It is this one given by the grace of God to the disciples of Jesus Christ. Then and now and every grace and every fruit that is produced in the life of the believer is produced by the Spirit of God. All that's ever given, the gifts, virtue, character, power to accomplish anything in God's name comes from and by means of the Holy Spirit of God. A few years ago, I was speaking with the the head person of the Assembly of God Church uh, in uh, where I used to live, and uh, he said to me, uh, you know, Jerry, uh, the difference between uh, us Pentecostals and you Presbyterians, okay, uh, I'll, I'll take this one on. He said, we believe it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And one of those graces is uh, patience in times of uh, trial. Because what I wanted to say to him was, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Because if anybody trusts the Spirit for everything, it is people who are reformed. Because we know that it is by the Spirit of God alone. And so here it is that Jesus makes this promise to those who trust and obey that the one sent by the Father is given to supply all that we need. Now there's a catch. As somebody said this morning, uh, John is sometimes not all that uh, straightforward. Yes, that's true. There's a catch. As the name paraclete is given to us, there's a certain aspect of his character and of his work that is revealed that help us, helps us to understand the way things really are. And that comes to us there in verse 17, where he says, even the spirit of truth, in other words, the Father will send another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. The Spirit of Truth, that is his name. By the way, you don't give a proper name to an idea or a philosophy or an opinion. You give a name to a person, to a person, right? The Holy Spirit is one of the persons of the Godhead. In fact, this is one of the great proof texts for the idea of, the Christian truth of the Trinity. All three persons of the Trinity are mentioned in this verse. It is the Son who prays, it is the Father who gives, it is the Spirit who exists and who comes and he comforts. Uh, That's a whole theological study, another whole theological study. But the Spirit of truth, immediately, Jesus tells us what's pretty obvious. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. Remember those two words from earlier in the passage? What is seeing and knowing? It is believing. And so 
in concert with what Paul says in 1 Corinthians, uh, the world does not see, it does not know, it cannot see or know the Spirit. It is by this very name of his that we have the explanation of why it is that the world cannot receive him. Now, just a parenthesis here, and that is that uh, the word world in the Gospel of John is very important. It occurs 40 times just in verses, in chapters 13 through 17. The world, the idea of the world, stands for that unbelieving, sinful mass of people, of humanity, to which the gospel will come, but that world stubbornly refuses to acknowledge its truth or its application to the life as we see it. He came into his own, the world, the world did not receive him because, in other places, men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil and that whole, uh, that whole uh, concept. Jesus has told the disciples about the world when he spoke to those who did not receive him. Jesus said to him, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But... Because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. See, there's the world. I tell you the truth. They hear the truth. They know the truth. In fact, they know it's the truth, and still they deny it. Sadly, then, it is those lost and corrupted by the darkness who are not aware of the Spirit of God, who speaks the truth in the Word of God, and who is spoken by Christ and proclaimed to his people. What do they say? What do people in the world say? Over in the book of Acts, upon the occasion of the very first proclamation of the gospel in the city of Jerusalem, Jews from all countries over the known world were gathered in the city, and they heard the sound of the violent wind. And they could see what seemed to be tongues of fire coming upon these few men. And they heard the claims of Christ upon the hearts and lives of men of all nations in their own languages. And what was their observation? In Acts 2, verses 12 and 13, they were amazed, they were perplexed, and they were mocking. What we're experiencing in our culture, in our day, in our country, in our world, nothing new, nothing new. The word of truth is not received. They were not aware. They are not aware. Jesus says in our text, they are not aware. So it's obvious that the darkened world, the darkened world cannot know with any personal experience, the truth of the Holy Spirit in His gracious power in their minds and lives. 
And the next clause in verse 17 comes to us without any conjunction, without any uh, add to or but or however. He just says, because it neither sees him or knows him, you know him. You know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. What a marvelous statement. Why is that? Well, because the disciples and those who hear these words and rejoice in these words have the Spirit of God within them. And they rejoice at what they hear. Already they knew a very little bit, maybe, about faith, about love, about obedience. But they had holy notions of delight to be in the presence of Jesus. They had a notion of what the delight of being in the worship of God was all about. That a person gleans, even now, from the Bible, every mark of love, every expression of joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control is a mark of the presence of the Spirit in our lives. The disciples know the Spirit. And there's ample evidence of that. And you can rejoice, brothers and sisters, this evening that you know the Spirit because you have seen in your own lives the work of His ministry. Jesus would leave. And that's the point. Jesus would leave. And one paraclete would, be, would replace another paraclete. And he would be staying with the people of Christ forever. Verse 16, the Holy Spirit will be with you forever. And did you know that that's nothing new? That's nothing new, even in John's Gospel. Remember Joshua. He stood on the eastern shore of the Jordan. Moses is dead ready to go into the land of promise. Joshua, scared, nervous, doubtful about his own abilities, doubtful about this group of people that he led. And God said to Joshua, what? Be strong. Be courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. In other words, let not your heart be troubled. Why? Because the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. It's one of the very basic promises of the covenant of God's grace. I will be your God and you will be my people. And you need never fear or dread or fret. For I will be with you wherever you go. After his death, after his resurrection... Jesus would commission his church. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, there's work to do, disciples. Go, therefore, into all the world. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you, and what? Behold, I am with you always even to the end of the age. How would Jesus fulfill that promise? How would Jesus fulfill that promise? Well, 
in the gift of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, given to those who are believers. One more comment. Verses 18 and 19. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live. You also will live. What's the one thing that made the disciple that makes disciples nervous? This one that we love so much is going away. And we're going to be left like an orphan, scrounging around, trying to exist with some kind of memory of what Jesus did. These little tidbits of the things that he taught. We're going to try to remember and make something out of what has happened in the last three years. Jesus says, no, brothers, I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to leave you like orphans. I'm coming back. And everything that you know that I have done for you will continue in even greater measure. The Spirit is coming. And in His coming, there is fullness, there is power, there is wonder. And you will live. You will live. Possession of all of that can truly be designated by the word alive is expressed right here. Regeneration, the new birth. You were dead in your trespasses and sin. How did you get out of that mess? The Holy Spirit made you alive in Christ. Redemption, the forgiveness of sins, freedom from guilt. Freedom from the chains of the horrible sinful habits are broken away. There's a wonder in the eye. There's a song in the heart. There's peace with God, with self, with others, and there's joy. Archbishop Trench Trench put it this way, Is there a higher word than life? to set for the blessedness of God and the blessedness of the redeemed creature. Life. Life. Jesus said, I am the life. You have life in me because the Holy Spirit has come. How does that happen? Well, you must be in Christ. That comes back to the beginning. Jesus picks it up again in verse 21. If you love me, You will believe in me when you hold fast to me by a true and living faith. Then you are in me and I am in you. It goes back to the basic question we started with last Sunday morning. Is your heart troubled? Is your heart troubled? Feeling the the weight of sin? You're called by Jesus, by his words right here. To come to him. For he alone is able by his death and resurrection to give you life. Even as a believer, if you're floundering. Know where that word comes from? You catch a flounder. You throw it on the dock. And it flops around like this. Is that your heart? You're floundering. There's comfort. There's peace. Here's the assurance. The gift of the Spirit. You have Him. 
you know him, you can trust him as he ministers to you by the word of God. Takes us back to the basics, and I won't expound on this, but you know the basics. The Bible, worship, the sacraments, prayer, the fellowship of God's people. You know what fellowship is? Fellowship is when God's people get together and they talk about things that are important. That's what fellowship is. And that builds our lives and peace into our lives. I pray that God will bless you with the peace that passes understanding that comes to us by the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Again, we thank you for the Spirit that knows us and we know him as believers because you have revealed Jesus to us in all his work and all his glory. We thank you for that work that he continues to do by his spirit in our hearts, in our lives, and through us in the church and in our personal witness and evangelism. Use us as we trust in you and trust in the spirit. We ask for the Spirit's power to come upon the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in this day. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. That's the hymn that we sing. It's hymn number 244 uh, in the back of the, or in the hymnal.